Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Fundamentally Mormon. This is Mark Wickenwalter. This is part of the Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Uh, we are going to be covering a chapter that we did quite a while ago. Actually, I've decided that this is Flashback, flashback Friday. So uh, the the chapter that we're going to be covering is um, was episode 225, and it's called fate of the Gentiles. If you're on iTunes, uh, it's pretty easy to find it. Uh, You can go back and listen to the original recording or you can just listen to this. We will uh, have the phone lines open and the studio will be open for people who want to call in and talk to me off the air. Um, And then if you want to come on the air, well, you have to wait till the end of the recording. So I, uh, should have started at 6:30 because I'm not ready for this yet, but I'm pretty close, and I think I think we're gonna get it just fine. So, oh, hold on here. Just trying to get this thing all set up. So I've been chasing kids around uh, for the last hour, which is always fun. So trying to get this ready and I didn't really want to do anything about it. I'm so tired. Like when I sleep during the day, I don't get very good sleep. And uh, like tonight I'm, I slept till like five today because I didn't have to go to work, but um, I'll sleep tonight as well. And then I'll feel fine tomorrow. But um like most people, you know, you get off on Fridays and then you have a little bit of an evening and then you go to sleep and then you get up on Saturday morning and you feel fine. Well, I slept today and I don't feel fine at all. Um, my body still hurts. I'm still very tired and um, I will spend night doing this and kind of just being with my family. And I'll go to sleep tonight after I've slept all day, and then I'll wake up really early in the morning because I've gotten more than enough sleep, and I'll feel great. It's just uh, it's a screwy schedule that I have. All right, so I'm going to try to do this and see if I can make it work. Um, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, the guest call-in number is 917-889. 8827. That's 917-889-8827. Okay, this might take me a second, so be patient with me, please. Thank you. 
Okay, I think I'm unmuted on all of my devices now. I've been talking, and I don't know. Anyway, I'm trying to get back into this, and uh, this is uh, – I'm beyond frustrated right now. This is live radio. Usually I have a recording ready to go, but oh, well. Anyway, all right, well, I'm going to mute myself with this, and we'll see if we can get this to work again. Fundamentally Mormon, I am Mark Wickenwalter, your host, coming to you live on this 25th day of February 2020. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. The text to this reading is posted at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S-1977. And we are going to be continuing on with Who Crucified Christ, Chapter 17, Fate of the Gentiles. I will open up the phone lines after the reading. If you have any questions or comments, you can also find the chat to this on a live Facebook stream at facebook.com forward slash the URUS1977. And you can read this book for free online in its entirety as well as many of other I've been crowd books that I've been crowd home at O G D E N K R A U T dot com. So uh let's get right into the reading. Faith of the Gentiles. Oh, let me just go to the right screen here. Okay, Faith of the Gentiles, chapter seventeen of Who Crucified Christ by Ogden Crowd. Therefore woe be unto the Gentiles, if it so be that they harden their hearts against the Lamb of God, 1 Nephi chapter 14, verse 66. Judah, one of the twelve sons of Jacob, committed a sin where he suggested selling his brother Joseph as a slave. However, sons wanted him dead. Because of this, the Lord showed more mercy to Judah than he did to the other ten sons. As the favor was shown to Judah's posterity, so the disfavor was shown to the descendants of the other lost tribes of Israel. We know where the house of Judah is, but where the rest of the house where is the rest of the house of Israel? The Jews were taken captive for a while, but they soon gathered back to Jerusalem. The other tribes were taken captive and gradually dispersed among the nations, and they will they will yet have to gather. The historian Josephus said that they were still scattered in the north countries, and the apostle James stated that they were still in a scattered condition. See James chapter 1, verse 1. So just a little explanation about the lost tribes. Um, before the Babylonian captivity of the Jews, the Assyrians came in and conquered and captured the northern kingdom, which was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah or Judah. So um, Israel was taken captive, and when the Assyrian Empire fell, the descendants of the ten other tribes of Israel were set free, and they disappeared up near the Black Sea area of the world. What's interesting is the same time that that happened, 
a group of people came out of that area who called themselves Isaac's sons or Saxons. And they went up into Europe, into what we know as Russia today, and that's where the descendants of the twelve or the ten tribes of the Northern Kingdom were dispersed into. Now, we also know that there were uh, tribes or par- partial tribes that went out, and like um, the tribe of Manasseh, there have been uh, people from the tribe of Manasseh recently within the last 10 years that have come out of Southeast Asia with their records, and they look like you know, they look like uh, regular Asian people, but they are the descendants of the tribe of Manasseh, and they they dispersed all up and down the coast and the, uh, well, all up and down Asia. So the ten tribes went throughout the whole earth. We know because of the Book of Mormon that there were, was a, uh, a small group of people in Judah in the, in the nation of Judah uh, before the Babylonian captivity that were from Manasseh and from Ephraim. Ishmael, I believe, was from Ephraim, and Lehi was from Manasseh. But, so when the uh, Ishmaelites and are the people from getting that wrong. Anyway, well, no, they weren't, they weren't Ishmael. They were Manasseh, Manasseh and Ephraim. Anyway, they came into, uh, or they followed the, the instructions of the Father and uh, eventually made their way to North America. And uh, Cherokee Indians uh, claimed to be from Ephraim, and uh, Iroquois Indians claimed to be from Ephraim. Now, anti-Mormons and academics have, uh, have tried to say that there is no DNA from the uh, from Israel or anywhere in that region among the Indians, but they're liars because there is DNA that haplogroup X DNA that uh, that is among the Indians that is also found um, in the Middle East. Uh, so we do know that there are DNA descendants of the of the Israelites in the land of America. Not only that. Um, there's been plenty of discoveries of Israelite Hebrew uh, culture in the Americans in New Mexico uh, etched, in, etched in the side of a cliff where the Ten Commandments written in Paleo-Hebrew, which is the Hebrew as they wrote before the Babylonian captivity. So after the Babylonian captivity, while the Israelites were in, in Babylon, they adopted a new writing style or a new uh, way of writing, which is what we see in the modern Hebrew uh, literature and writing styles of today. But before that happened, they had a different uh, way of writing, and that's what is called Paleo-Hebrew. And we find that in North America. Uh, For instance, the Bat Creek Stone, I think it was Bat Creek, um, Tennessee, they found uh, a stone that they didn't understand what the language was on the stone. Um, but somebody who did understand it, who was at the Smithsonian, um, uh, the story goes that uh, the, this particular guy who understood Paleo Hebrew um, saw this 
stone on the desk uh, of uh, somebody at the Smithsonian, and he said, well, why is why is your stone upside down? He says, well, what do you mean? This is a language we don't know. And he said, no, that's clearly a Hebrew. It's upside down, and that stone says under Judah. So we've got those um, those interesting things that uh, that you know that they found in North America uh, around the Memphis and Cairo, Illinois. Memphis, Tennessee, in that area, they they used to call it Little Egypt because they found many Egyptian uh, relics in that area, showing that the Egyptians had um, people who were influenced by Egyptian culture and alphabet hieroglyphs uh, did uh, inhabit that area around the Mississippi River long before the discovery. the um, discovery of North America. So it's it's history that that um, accepting that it is out there, and uh, the Israelites were in North America, and it's really interesting because during the Bronze Age they had to have copper and tin to make the bronze, and uh, copper has a very specific DNA as to where the copper, they can tell where copper comes from by looking at the molecular structure of the copper. And a lot of the copper that came, that was in Europe, Europe during the Bronze Age actually came from Michigan. There were copper mines in Michigan, and that that copper has been linked to those mines, which before, you know, the Bronze Age was long before Christopher Columbus came to North America. So there's a lot of history that is covered up, but there's a lot of evidence that that history is actually a reality. So, yeah, just make sure I'm on the right thing here. All right, so getting back into the reading, we know we know a lot of where, I mean, I could go on for if I studied up on it, I could probably go on for hours talking about this stuff. We know that a lot of the tribal chiefs settled in England in the British Isles um, long before uh, the Roman Empire, but we also know that Jesus Christ's family, um, well, for instance, Joseph of Arimathea was a merchant tin trader. He used to go beyond Hadrian's Wall, which uh, is Scotland's. Uh, modern-day Scotland, and there was this wall that, the Rome, that divided um, Scotland from the Roman Empire, and the Scots weren't allowing the, the Romans to come in and take over anything, so there was this wall, and that was like a, a border, basically, <laughs> excuse me, a border between um, Rome and, and the Scottish people. Well, Joseph of Arimathea, the great, I think he was the great uncle of Jesus Christ, um, he would go up and purchase tin from these people uh, up north, and after he gave his tin to Yeshua, or Jesus, he took uh, some of Jesus' family, Mary and other the women, 
been children of Jesus uh, up beyond Hadrian's Wall, and they, they settled in the area, so that blood, uh, that holy blood exists up there in Scotland. Um, and, like, I know a lot of people say, well, Jesus didn't have kids. Well, in Isaiah, it says that he will look down upon his seed, or in other words, he will look down from the cross upon his children. And so Isaiah did see uh, the descendants of Jesus Christ, which are still alive on this earth today. And if you know anything about deep Mormon history, you know that that was taught in the early history of the church, that there were many that were descendants of Jesus Christ himself still walking the earth. Anyway, continuing on with the reading. The house of Judah will gather to the, to the old Jerusalem, and the house of Joseph will gather to the new Jerusalem. The other tribes will join in wherever they are welcome, but will receive their blessings from the hand of Ephraim. And part of the reason for that is because Judah lost its birthright. Uh, and in, I think it's in Second Chronicles, it actually says that uh, the name of Israel will be upon the house of Yosef through Ephraim. They have the birthright. That's why in Genesis chapter 49 it says that the keys will not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. Well, when Shiloh came, the keys departed from the house of Judah to a pure Ephraimite whose name was Joseph Smith, who is called Shiloh in Genesis. I know a lot of people believe Jesus Christ is Shiloh, but the keys couldn't have departed from Jesus, who was a Jew. I won't know that. Let me put that another way. The keys Judah, when Jesus had them, because Jesus was from Judah. So were Peter, James, and John. But when they were passed from Peter, James, and John to Joseph Smith, they were passed from the tribe of Judah to a pure Ephraimite, who is Shiloh. Anyway, continuing on. And uh, Ephraim has the uh, the keys of gathering and the keys of the kingdom. So when it talks about the word of the Lord shall come forth from Jerusalem and the law from from Zion, I, I might be getting that backwards, but there will be two capitals during the millennium. There will be two capitals. One will uh, one will go forth from Zion and the mouth from Zion and the word of the Lord from uh, from from Jerusalem. <laughs> and this this also is uh, reflective of Zechariah 4, where it talks about two anointed ones standing before the Lord of the whole earth, or in Hebrew, two anointed ones from Mashiach standing before Jehovah our Elohim. The Jews understand that there is the Messiah of the tribe of Judah, who is the King Messiah, but there is also another Messiah, a second Messiah that comes from the tribe of Yosef, who um, or Ephraim, who is, who is the son of Joseph. So uh, it's all really interesting, and uh, when you put all the pieces together, it's very fascinating. Anyway, we're on page 150. For those of you following along, you can read for free with us online at the Facebook post that I posted for, uh, on 
page 150. During the lifetime of Christ, both Judaism and Christianity were on trial. In that, in that day, the kings of Judah were battling against the kings of Christianity. But they who thought that they were the victors were really the losers. The Christians were told to turn the other cheek, to expect to be driven, and anticipated even death because their killers would think they were doing God a service. Many would go through their, their Gethsemane, and some would go to Calvary, but they should endure to the end. Many others, however, would, go, would just go to hell. It is not just the Jews. Even the Gentiles and most Christians are also guilty. That's because, they're, um, because of what happened with the Roman Empire. Uh, there's a law of apostasy within Christianity. So what happened was, um, most Christians were Jews around the time of Christ. Satan wanted to destroy the Christian people and stop the movement from getting anywhere. So he inspired people to condemn and crucify and stone and, and murder the Christians. That's kind of like the same thing that happened within more, uh, early Mormon history. When God's kingdom and all that was restored by the prophet Joseph Smith, who laid the, uh, laid the foundation for the redemption of Zion, we can look back just a short 200 years and see how much death and destruction was brought upon the people of the Restoration, the Latter-day Saints, by their Christian neighbors, because the devil inspired Christians and non-Christians to kill the Mormons and to take away their property and to starve them out. And I'm talking about men, women, and children being being killed. If you want to know much about that, Google Hans Mill. But there was a lot of other... Um, but that's what Satan does. He wants to destroy. When, when Satan could destroy completely the early Christian people or the saints of the latter day, he, uh, he used the government to force an apostasy among them. So Constantine, the emperor of Rome, hijacked early Christianity. He made it illegal for anything Jewish about Christians to be whatever. And then he hijacked the holidays and all kinds of stuff. So you have the Roman Catholic Church that comes from that apostasy with many of their heresies. <laughs> Excuse me. And so you've got that apostasy. And luckily the reformers eventually start trying to get back to the Bible, but very few of them have ever come back full into full true Christian worship. Many of the churches of today still cling to a lot of the apostasian and the uh, the other pagan uh, systems that were interwoven in early Christianity, but he also had that within Mormonism. But Satan couldn't destroy the people. He sent out an army through Johnston, Johnston's army, to completely destroy the Mormon people in the Rocky Mountains. Luckily, God did fight their battles for them, and there was some heavy, heavy winter blizzards in late the late spring coming across Wyoming, by the time the army got 
to Salt Lake, they needed the help of the Mormons to survive, which is kind of funny because Brigham Young said, we'll trade you food for arms, and they gave up their arms, and that's how the Mormon battalion actually got their weapons and their cannons from the U.S. government. When the U.S. government sent out this army to destroy the Mormons, the Mormons eventually ended up owning the cannons and the firearms and all of that. But fortunately, um, the U.S. government sent out more uh, more military, and they built a uh, uh, they built a, a fort in Salt Lake, and uh, they had the cannons pointed right at the Salt Lake Temple for a long time. And then the U.S. government sent out their lawyers and their their politicians and their marshals and arrested people for living would be restored by God and given to us by God, which caused the church to go into apostasy and to reject many many of the founding uh, the foundational principles for Zion to be redeemed. <laughs> and that's why I talk about the things I talk about because God restored certain things to us for our day so that Zion could be redeemed. But in order for Zion to be redeemed, we have to live the laws that God has presented to us. Some of those laws are in Acts, where they had all things in common. That's called the law of consecration. God has asked us to do that in our day. It's in the Doctrine and Covenants. In fact, there is not, uh, he says, um, it is not given for one man to own that which is above another, wherefore the whole world lieth in sin. And if you will be equal, if you will be a Zion people, you must be equal in all things. So this whole thing where they've got like billions of dollars in bank accounts and they, they allow the the poor to you know, to suffer while there are many rich in the church, that is a complete out of balance for Zion people. People that do that are Babylonian Gentiles. They are not the they are not the people of God. Now God wants to bring all the Gentiles into his kingdom as well. Patient and long suffering, but there's gonna come a point where your disobedience will be will be met with suffering, either you or your descendants. So Shalom, Charles. Thank you for uh Charles that Jehovah bless you. Uh Thank you, and you as well. So, all right, but so that's what happened. That's what uh, that's what Satan does. He hijacks God's truth, and he he basically just um, changes things around, which is the very essence of tra- not transgression but iniquity. Iniquity is when you are given instruction by God, and you are given a path follow. If you follow that path, you're in righteous favor. But when you bear off that path and begin doing other things, that is the definition of being in iniquity. And we in this dispensation have been given a path to follow, and it's in the Doctrine and Covenants. And if we don't follow that path, we are in iniquity. And by being in iniquity, we are in apostasy as as a people. And and in the Doctrine and Covenants and in the teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, it is said that God will choose another people to redeem Zion. And in section 124, Jesus says, if if you're not obedient to the things I have commanded you, you will be rejected as a church with your dead. 
So when they tell you that they're the one true church, that they're not being obedient to God's laws, and they make up all kinds of excuses, well, in section 124, Jesus said, if you're not obedient to what I've commanded you, you will be rejected as a church with your dad, saith the Lord. Anyway, continuing on with the reading, it is not just the Jews who appear to be the unbelievers, for even the Gentiles and most Christians are also guilty. They often turn their backs on the power that can save them. They also fall upon the Gentiles. God is not mocked, nor is he partial in his judgment. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if there was apostasy among the Jews and hard-heartedness and they were not being obedient and he allowed us to be destroyed, well, what do you think it's going to do to us when we're not doing what we need to do as a people? Is it any wonder in the Doctrine and Covenants it says that gross darkness covereth the earth and it talks about all these plagues and these, these horrible things that are going to happen as a cleansing uh, to the people and that they first start in my house among they who say they know me and do not. His house is where the Holy of Holies is at in Salt Lake City, Utah. They first start there because we as a people have been given more than any other people on the earth. And so because we reject or we, we are slothful and disobedient, our punishment is greater than any other people on the face of the earth. That's why we need to repent as a people and be obedient to what God has commanded. And I pray that the church will figure it out. And you know what? They've backed off on plural celestial marriage recently. It's, uh, a bill has passed in the House in Utah to decriminalizing for the most part polygamy, which is plural celestial marriage, which is talked about in Section 132 of the Doctrine and Covenants. <laughs> but it's also talked about in the Torah. And Yehovah, or Yeshua, or Jesus, never spoke out against polygamy in his minister, mortal ministry. He didn't. There's a lot more that we don't understand, and I, but I understand it because I've been given revelation on the subject. But nevertheless, it's part of the restoration. It is something that is practiced among a righteous and moral people who will be Zion on the earth when Zion from above meets Zion below. When the church of the firstborn comes down out of heaven and resurrected prophets and apostles come down on the earth and they have the grand, great meeting with Father Adam, it's Michael, Adam, and Isaiah, to prepare the way for the return of Yeshua, Hamashiach, or Jesus the Christ. And this is all spoken of in Daniel chapter 7 of your Old Testament. There's so much more to the kingdom of God on earth and in heaven than what most the world understands. But luckily for us, God has given us the latter days who can interpret scripture and who can receive new revelation and instruction so that they can understand the truth of God's word in its fullness. All right, let's see. We're going to get back into the reading. The world is no more ready to credit the message for this time than were the Jews to receive the Savior's warning concerning Jerusalem. Come when it may, 
the day of God, or Jehovah your Elohim, will come unawares to the ungodly, like a thief in the night. When life is going on in its unvarying round, when men are absorbed in pleasure, in business, in traffic, in money-making, and enlightenment, and the people are lulled in a false sense of security, then as the midnight thief fills within the unguarded dwelling, so shall sudden destruction come upon the careless and the ungodly, and they shall not escape. And quote the great controversy by Ellen G. White, page uh, 51. And I was reading on Facebook today where they were talking about an overflowing scourge will come among you, that disease and pestilence that would overtake the whole earth, a great pandemic that would destroy a majority of the people. Well, I don't know if this coronavirus is that coming, but it's spreading fast. And just to be on the safe side, you need to be aware that these things are happening. There already we've got so many, uh, so much shutting down in China to continue manufacturing our cheap goods and, and sending all of that, that shipping to the United States. So you're going to see supply chains fail in this country. So if you can still get it, you'd better get it now. But there's things that are already, you know, out of stock in many places. A lot of medical supplies are out of stock because China's the one that manufactures that, and China's on lockdown right now because of the coronavirus. This virus might not be the overflowing scourge that destroys the nations, but it very well could be. And we're seeing reports that this is a weaponized virus. This, this was uh, manufactured in a government agency of bio, uh, bio, biological labs. No joke, people. It might only kill 50% of the people, but when 100% of the people are sick and nobody can go to work, guess what's going to stop? Your supply chains, your shipping, your manufacturing, your trucking. Just this winter, Last month, there were so many blizzards in Wyoming that Wyoming had bare shelves at Walmart because they could not resupply those stores. And there were pictures of those uh, those stores where their shelves were bare. Well, what happens when the shelves are bare and you don't have food storage or supplies in your own home? You start to death. It is not as strong as people think it is. And whether or not this coronavirus is a uh, is the overflowing scourge of the great disease that is talked about in the scriptures, we need to be sufficient, self-sufficient as a people. We have been told for many years, as a Latter-day Saint people, to have food storage and supplies. In the beginning, Brigham Young talked about seven years of food storage. Seven. Over the years, it dwindled down. When I was a child, they were talking about having two years of food storage. It went down to a year, and then it was three months. Have at least three months supply. Now they don't even talk about it because Babylon, or I mean the U.S. government, has made it illegal to hoard food in your homes. So who are we going to follow, God or man? 
Do you want to die? Do you want to watch your children and your family die because you were not prepared? I hope not, and I hope people will get serious about getting their food storage and stuff ready. Excuse me. Continuing on with the reading. The Gentiles have not done much better than the unrighteous Jews in ancient times. They have not had respect for the righteous Jews, the good figs, but instead have branded branded them uh, them all. The Jews have suffered for their sins, and now the Gentiles must suffer for theirs. Consider what the Lord said in the Book of Mormon, we're on page 151. Quote, But thus saith the Lord God, Jehovah your Elohim, O fool, they shall have a Bible, and they shall proceed forth from the Jews, mine ancient covenant people. And what thank they, the Jews, for the Bible which they received from them? Yea, what do the Gentiles mean? Do they remember the travels and the labors and the pains of the Jews and their diligence unto me in bringing forth salvation unto the Gentiles? Remember, the early Christians were Jews, okay? O ye Gentiles, have ye remembered the Jews, mine ancient covenant people? No, nay. But ye have cursed them and have hated them and have not recover them. But behold, I will return all these things upon your own head, Gentiles. For I, the Lord, have not forgotten my people. Second Nephi chapter 29, verses 4 and 5. <laughs> when we look into the history, into history, it is easy to see the mistakes that the ancients made. We see how they fall into worldly weakness and follow the ways of the wicked. But our eyes have been blinded as to our own weakness. Just as that. And it's coming. Just as the, uh, the nation of Jerusalem was destroyed, your nation is going to fall down around you when this does happen. The, the visions of John Taylor and others who have seen these things happen, it is horrible. And I've been given, and I and uh, Kevin Kraut, uh, one other person that, that he knows, I don't know, we were all given the same instruction to depart out of this area when things got to be so bad that they were unsafe and to go down into the area northwest of Lake Powell, where Kevin believes that uh, in the area around Orderville or Circleville, where they actually lived and prospered in United Orders. This would be a place of safety. I've heard other people receive, uh, they told me that they've received instructions to go to different areas of safety, but you're not going to want to be in the city, that's for sure. When I was 18, before I met the mission, I was homeless in San Francisco for, for a short time. I lived in my car, and I was out on Pier 49, I think it is. It's a famous tourist uh, place. I parked out there. I was on the pier, and this guy came up to me, and he said, you see spirits a lot, don't you? And I said, yes, I have my whole life. I said, why do you know that? He said, because I can see the energy around you, and there is a great brightness above your head, and they're attracted to you. Now, he saw that spiritually, and others have seen it as well throughout my life. 
I can usually feel when, uh, when the anointing of God comes down upon me, and that's always when people see it. But he said, uh, I'd like to talk to you because I have some things to tell you. But I didn't know this guy at all. I was not Christian at the time. I was into a lot of things that I shouldn't have been into. I was homeless and rebellious. <laughs> but I, uh, I went and listened to He didn't think he'd pay or anything. He didn't ask money or anything from me. But he told me that he had a dream or a vision about me. And he wanted to talk to me about about my life in the future. And he told me that he saw me in a time of great uh, uh, rioting in this country when there was no government, that everybody was killing everyone, that I would lead a great number of people at the top of the mountains, and that I would be a great religious leader. Now, at the time, I was full-born God. Because before my conversion, I was still into drugs and alcohol, uh, wherever I could get it. I wanted to die. In fact, I tried to commit suicide after that. But God had other plans for me. So I, I thought he was crazy. How could I become a great religious leader? You know, but he saw that this time period would take place in my adulthood when I was older. The day is going to come when your supply chains and your shipping and your receiving and your stores are out of stock, and many people who are not prepared are going to turn upon their neighbors, and there will be wars among neighbors and family members and cities killing each other off trying to survive. In those days, Isaiah talked about a, a resident being led in the highway at the top of the mountain. The same as what that psychic guy said he saw. Now, I don't know if I'm the only leader. I don't believe I am, and I hope I'm not, because I really don't want to be a leader. I want people to repent. I want people to be educated in the things of Lion's Redemption, and that's one of the reasons I do these shows. But Heavenly Fathers also told me to be bold in my witness and my experiences, so I talk about them as well, even though they're too sacred to talk But I talk about it because I've been commanded to. And I do these programs because this is how I reach the people and teach the people. Rabbi Yitzhak Kadori actually saw these things happen, and he said that I would come forth around the time that Ariel Sharon died. Now, what's really interesting about that, and I did not know about Yitzhak Kadori at the time, venerated rabbi in Israel who received revelation and saw Jesus, our Messiah, he said that I would come forth when when Ariel Sharon died. And it's really interesting because when I first started the Kingdom of God or Nothing radio show to go out over the air worldwide, my first radio show before I started fundamentally Mormon, that was January of 2014, shortly after the death of Ariel Sharon. And Yitzhak Dory was shown in the visions and revelations that I would use the Internet and social media to reach the world. And you know what? This radio program goes out worldwide. <laughs> People hear my voice worldwide talking about these things. The revelation of Yitzhak Dory has been fulfilled. I can't change the start dates of the kingdom of God or 
morning and check it out and see what aerial show guys you're going to see. I started the Kingdom of God or Nothing with in, uh, internet radio show and podcast in January of 2014, shortly after the death of Ariel Sharon. This is no joke. I may not be the greatest podcaster in the world. I may not be right on everything that I talked about. God is calling us as a people to repentance. He's calling us to be a dying people. He has truly sent me forth as a, a witness and a representative to, uh, to, 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 to do the same thing as Jeremiah, Nehemiah, Nehemiah, and other prophets have done in, in the past. I am happy that the leadership of the LDS Church actually do watch these videos and that they are beginning to repent and to come back off their heart stances. But there has to be more done. And I am not trying to take over your church, Russell and Nelson. But you need to repent with your people if you're going to be a Zion people. And the, the hour is, is things are going to come to a close and there will be no work done in the, day, uh, in the time of darkness. We need to repent as a people and be obedient to what God has asked us to do. Not just covenanting to live the law of consecration, but actually having united orders among us as a people. That has to be a thing that we as a people are willing to do. Because none of us can keep the law of consecration and the covenant that we have made without the organization and organization coming together and helping to create these united orders. And, you know, we really don't have the excuses that we had before. The only thing that we have to worry about is Babylon coming up and raising up their, <laughs> their, their the force of the gun against us. But are we going to be obedient to God? Are we going to be obedient to men? Are we going to have united orders and a lot for celestial marriage to be among us? Are we going to restore the truth of Zion's redemption, which included um, things like the law of adoption and rebaptism and all of the doctrines that have been done away with by the LDS Church over the last hundred years? Are we going to continue in our, our smooth pace in apostasy? We are the Gentile people with the blood of Ephraim among us. Are we going to activate that blood by being obedient so that we can be God's people, or are we just going to continue playing church? People who play church are Babylonians all week long and they go to church and they learn about God's people one Sunday, but they are not God's people. You want to be a Zion people, you must, be, uh, you must do Zion things. Now, talk about Zion things, now learn about Zion things, but be a Zion people. In order for Zion to be redeemed, there must be a people who will do all that God has commanded. Continuing on. In our modern era, we have reared castles for gambling and places for ple- uh, palaces for pleasure and have spent billions for liquor and drugs. We have constructed high-rise buildings for banking, and everywhere is there evidence of the love of money. We have fought against God's law of marriage, talking about plural 
filled by the Holy Spirit of promise. We as a people have fought against God's laws, okay, and have instituted and, and situated brothels, prostitution, and adultery. We have scientifically prohibited the birth of children, committing abortions, and designed, designed <laughs> the physical and the chemical means to prevent pregnancy. Now, I just wanted to say, so I was reading comments today about this uh, house bill that passed in Utah, which decriminalized plural celestial marriage or polygamy. And people were all flipping out about how that there was uh, all this abuse among polygamists and uh, child abuse and wife abuse and all kinds of stuff. Why don't you just get rid of marriage then? Because that happens among monogamists too. That is no reason to stop consenting adults from living their religion. If it is against the law for a monogamist to marry a child, it is against the law for a polygamist to marry a child as well. And in both cases, they should be prosecuted for their crimes. But if you're not going to get rid of monogamy because there's a bunch of other, some sick freak psychos out there, how are you going to sit there and say that you should get or that you should criminalize polygamy? If there is abuse among monogamists and you don't get rid of the institution of marriage, then why should you uh, stop the institution of plural celestial marriage because there's abuse among them? Whatever happens in monogamy, it happens in plural celestial marriage too. Criminalize plural celestial marriage. People can actually stop being victims and come forth. But people in polygamous communities will not come forth. They hide everything because they don't want their families being broken up for the government and being thrown in jail for being felons because they're living their religion. So people that fight against decriminalization of polygamy are actually helping to cover or to cause people not to, to be able to report these crimes that are being committed against them because they become felons. That is men and women. If you want to stop child marriage among some of these whack jobs in, in uh, the fundamentalist movement, like wooden jobs, criminalize polygamy so that a polygamist can go to the law authorities and report Warren jobs for taking on children wives. But because it's illegal and you become a felon for having, uh, for living your religion, when this, this corruption comes among them, they're too afraid to go to law enforcement to report them and it just goes underground. Which brings me back to my original point. All the stuff that happens in monogamous marriages happens in polygamous marriages. It doesn't mean all monogamous marriages are bad, and it doesn't mean all polygamous marriages are bad. I have personal friends with plenty of polygamous, independent Mormons, some who are part of uh, uh, some churches, some who are part of other churches, some who are independents, like, like myself for the most part, who have good solid relationships among their sister wives and their husbands. They are not abusive in any way. They are not taking on child brides. 
When I was 16, my 14-year-old girlfriend, and after we broke up, she married a 36-year-old man. Okay, now she was a Seventh-day Adventist. The 36-year-old man was our neighbor. Her parents consented for whatever reason. I don't even understand. We were living in a trailer park, so I don't know if that tells you anything about the situation. But she had, I think, three children by that 36-year-old man. She was 14. Then back then in the state of Utah, 14 was uh, was okay to get married as long as you had parental consent. I would consider it child bride, and I would consider it uh, it should be morally illegal, especially in our day and age. People are not as mature as back in the olden times where life expectancy wasn't as long as um, whatnot. But a 36-year-old man taking a 14-year-old wife as a bride, I consider that morally wrong. But it was legal, and he did it legally. That was a monogamous. That also happens in polygamous groups. Now, I believe they've moved the age up to 16 with parental consent, but I, even that I believe is too well. <laughs> That's my opinion on the subject anyway. Let's get back into the reading. Many of the saints that befell the Jews, many of the sins that befell the Jews have befallen the Gentiles, or the Goyim. That's Hebrew for Gentiles, Goyim, the Goy. Whenever you hear a Jew calling you a Goy, he's not, he's not calling you anything nice. He's actually slandering you, <laughs> you Goy. Anyway, Many of the sins that befell the Jews have befallen the Gentiles, but, but justice strikes again against the guilty, no matter what their profession, creed, or race. That which was first come against the last. Where the seeds are the same, the tree cannot be different. The sword of justice can cut both ways. Page 152, for those of you following along. We have persecuted the Jews because they rejected the gospel and persecuted and killed our Messiah, Jesus Christ, and his, and his apostles and his disciples. But our generation has, done, has not done much better. Okay, you haven't killed your Messiah yet, Messiah ben Yosef, but you've rejected a lot of your gospel. The Jews were expecting a king messiah. They got a servant messiah. Now, you're expecting a king messiah, and you're, well, I'm not going to get into that, but we've done the same thing. They were an apostasy, and so are we. We can't look down our nose at them and not look back at ourselves. <laughs> Consider the restoration of the gospel of Christ in our dispensation. What did the Gentiles do with it? They persecuted the believers and killed the saints. They even killed the prophet Joseph Smith, who held the keys of this distance. They drove the early saints from city to city and state to state and finally drove them into the wilderness, into a wilderness that no one else wanted. That wasn't enough. So they sent out an army to 
destroy them. I, I just talked about that a minute ago. Johnston's army. That was the first wave of military incursion into the state of Deseret to destroy the Mormon people. When that didn't work, they passed unconstitutional and unjust and wicked laws with the help of politicians and lawyers and imprisoned many of the saints, which still is affecting us as a people today. How is it that we can have a protection of church, a separation of church and state, but then the state comes in and says your religion is illegal and the practice of your religion is illegal, and we're going to throw you in federal prison and make you felons for living your religion between consenting adults in this land of liberty with the Constitution given to us by God. These politicians who hate God, they hate the true God of the Bible. Regardless of if they, regardless of whether or not they, they proclaim to believe in Jesus or not, they hate the true God of the Bible, which actually gave us instructions in the Torah or the Old Testament or the Tanakh about the about how to live polygamy. But they fight against it. They fight against the uh, United Orders and the law of consecration. They hate Zion. And they passed many unconstitutional and wicked laws kingdom and caused the kingdom to go into apostasy. That's why there are fundamentalist Mormons. And we're not all FLDS. There are many different groups, despite what the LDS Church of the government wants to tell you. And there are many, many of us who are independent fundamentalists, both within the LDS Church and without. But they keep their mouths shut because they don't want to be excommunicated for apostasy because they believe in something like the Adam God doctrine or plural celestial marriage or the law of consecration or rebaptism or the law of adoption or any of the other myriad of doctrines that was restored in the restoration of the gospel in our dispensation. I read the new release of the handbook, and they actually have in it that, that apostasy is not grounds for, uh, to require uh, disciplinary counsels anymore. Thank you for watching these programs and, and turning, uh, turning around and turning away from persecuting people who want to live God's restored truth, Russell and Nelson and, and, and the apostles of the LDS Church. Thank you for for hearing the things which I have been talking about and others have been talking about for years. God wants you and me and our people to be a Zion people. Doing a little bit here and a little bit there will never be enough to redeem Zion. We must be full in, go full in. When that didn't work, they passed unconstitutional, unjust, and wicked laws with the help of politicians and lawyers and imprisoned many of the saints. The chief priests of Christianity rejoiced to see it all happen, and many of them took part in the deeds. <laughs> yes, what ancient Herod did, our president, Buchanan, was president of the United States during that time, did similarly. The role of Pilate was played by President Van Buren. 
President Van Buren, who could do nothing for the saints, though their cause was just. The lawyers who made false laws against the Christians were led by President Lincoln, and the priests who cried crucify him were Protestant and Catholic Christians who helped in the persecution and were complicit in the death of many of the early Latter-day Saints who are called Mormons. The ancient hypocritical and uh, corrupt political leaders seem to have reappeared under the names of our modern political leaders. Representatives of the great conspirators behind the death of Jesus are here in our day, plotting, inspiring, robbing, and betraying the people and the nation. Times have changed, but the character of people has There were followers of Satan long ago, and his followers exist today. The drama of life is still being played out. The actors are different. Deanery has changed. The script has been rewritten, but the plot of good against evil remains the same. When we come back on uh, the next uh, show, we'll be reading chapter 18, starting on page 153, which is the conclusion of this book, Who Crucified Christ. I'm going to read a little bit of it. Actually, I think I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to play something real quick. I've got to go check on something because I heard an adult downstairs where my kids are, and I'm pretty sure he's here to pick up the kids for for a program that they that they do. I'm going to go check that out. I'll be right back. I'm opening up the guest caller line. Uh, guest caller line is nine one seven. Eight eight nine eight eight two seven. That's nine one seven eight eight nine eight eight two seven. And I'll be right back in fifteen minutes. I'm going to play the uh, the recording of, uh, of a revelation received in 2015, which deals with the second endowment, not the second anointing, but the second endowment. So I'm going to let uh, you guys listen to that while I go check out what's going on out there. I'll be back within 15 minutes, and if we have any guest callers, I'll bring them on the air. Once again, the guest line is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. School of the Prophets. First was the covenant of the priesthood. All those who enter into the school of the prophets or the Relief Society shall have taken the oath and covenant of the priesthood upon them, which oath is done by raising both hands to the square and saying, O Father, unto thee I pledge my oath. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. I will do all in my power to bring thy kingdom upon the earth. I covenant with thee that I will take thee as my law, and I will obey thy revelations unto me whether they be revelations given to me or to another, but which are confirmed to me, it is the same. I know that ye cannot fail, and that I must obey the law upon which any blessing is predicated to get the good of that blessing. Even so, amen. Brothers and sisters, welcome to the school of the sons and daughters of the gods, even the schools of magi and of prophets and of seers, and of, of priests and priestesses kings and queens. I am the teacher that hath been appointed for this school, and I am standing in my place at the head of the circle, for there shall be established a circle with a triangle in the middle, 
the teacher and priest at the head of the circle is Elijah. The king upon the right side is called Messiah, and the magi upon the left is called Elias. You have come unto the house of the Lord to receive your second endowment, who of the prophets and in the early society. The mysteries of God shall be revealed unto you in the bonds of brotherhood, sisterhood, charity, and love. All the rooms which ye shall meet in for the school of the prophets from this day forth shall be dedicated as a temple unto the living God, which is his house, even a house of prayer, a house of fasting, a house of faith, a house of learning, a house of glory, a house of order, a house of God. Therefore, if ye will obey the order of this house, ye will speak in turn, walk in turn, and let the love and charity that ye have one for another grow as ye perform these binding ordinances. For the order of the ordinances in this house alone will expand the love ye have for one another. Dedicatory Prayer The dedicatory prayer is a prayer of dedication by the inspiration of the Spirit, dedicating it as a school and temple of God. Inviting God into the house or dedicated room. Also take a white handkerchief and waving them say, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to God and the Lamb. Hosanna, Hosanna. Hosanna to God and the Lamb. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Amen, amen, and amen. Now, all those who wish to accept the obligations and blessings of the endowment, please raise your hand. Very well. Washing of feet. The holy priest is the holder washing the feet. Shall invite the patron to sit down and place a basin of water in front of him to put his feet in. The holy priest is the holder will then take off his garments and set them nearby, and gird himself with a long towel like a temple robe over one shoulder. He will then kneel down and begin the washing of the feet, saying, Brother, by the authority of the priesthood, after the order of the Son of God, I wash your feet, preparatory to receiving your second anointing in the house of the Lord, that you may rule and reign in the house of Israel, or Adam, forever. And at this time wash you clean every whit, that you are now clean from the blood and sins of this generation. I wash you clean of the blood and sins of this generation. And again, I wash you clean of the blood and sins of this generation. That you may be called up and come forth in the morning of the first resurrection and be clean without spot at the judgment bar of God. For you have done your part to warn the people of this generation, ridding your garments of their blood. Therefore, I declare by the authority of the holy priesthood, that you are clean and your sins are forgiven if ye have repented. And I do this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. This does not need to be the exact wording, but it, this is an example of the washing of feet. Salute. Now behold, my son, after this has been done, he shall be accepted into the school by raising both hands high in the salute. And the priest, that, and the priest shall also raise his hands high in the salute. And the priest shall say, Art thou a brother or brethren? I salute you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in token of remembrance of the everlasting covenant, in which covenant I receive you to fellowship in, in a determination that is fixed, immovable, and unchangeable, to be your friend and brother through the grace of God and the bonds of love, to walk in all the commandments of God, blameless, in thanksgiving, forever and ever. Amen. And he that is found unworthy of this salutation shall not have place among you, for ye shall not suffer that mine house shall be polluted. And he that cometh in and is faithful before me, and is a brother, or if they be brethren, they shall salute the president or teacher with uplifted hands to heaven. 
with this same prayer and covenant, or by saying, Amen, and tokening the same. For behold, these words I gave to Joseph Smith, and they have not been abrogated. This shall be done in every session of the School of the Prophets and the Relief Society. Healing and Blessing Sisters are to give each other blessings of healing and comfort by the laying on of hands in the Relief Society. Brethren are to do the same when they are moved upon to do so. Brethren and sisters may also bless and dedicate handkerchiefs to assist in the healing of the sick, as well as blessing and dedicating other objects for purposes of power in the priesthood. Objects which are for protection and not for healing should be blessed with a rod or wand. Being married to Christ. Do you have faith that Jesus is the Christ? Yes. Then confess his name and covenant to never deny him as a testimony to the world. The initiate's own words. Then, thus saith the Lord to my messenger, Verily, verily, I say unto you, my son, I give unto you a commandment, declaring unto you that they who receive you receive me, and if they receive me, they receive him that sent you, to salute them with my salutation and remembrance of my everlasting covenant, which I have received you to fellowship. May they receive you also as you receive them, that they may be clean from the blood of this generation and be received by the washing of the feet. For unto this end was the ordinance of washing of feet instituted, being bound together in the bonds of brotherly love and sealed together by the covenant of life and peace, which covenant abideth forever with the celestial saints. Or in other words, the married uh, to Christ. And he that continueth not in this covenant shall not have place among you, for ye shall not suffer my house to be polluted by them, saith the Lord. Amen. Amen. All those in the school shall then either wash one another's feet or give the holy kiss in token of the same. And they shall say to one another, Do you receive me to be your friend and brother? Are you willing to salute me in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in token and for remembrance of the everlasting covenant in which you receive me to fellowship? And the determination that is fixed, immutable, and unchangeable to be your friend and brother, through the grace of God in the bonds of love, to walk in their commandments of God, blameless and thanksgiving forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Are you willing to show to the world that you are clean from the blood of this generation? Do you covenant with me in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the presence of these witnesses that you will love your companions in life as Christ loves the church? You will cherish each other, comfort each other, forsaking all others who are not in the holy order, so long as you live? Yes. Having authority, I feel thee, brother, unto the anointed gods, even Christ, both male and female, and seal thee unto myself, as mine own son in the first household of Jesus Christ, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Now men may be sealed to their wives in the second sealing by taking them by the hand and saying, Art thou my sister? I salute you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in token or remembrance of the everlasting covenant, in which I covenant to receive you to fellowship in, in a determination which is fixed and immovable and unchangeable to be your friend and brother, through the grace of God, in the bonds of love, to walk in all the commandments of God, blameless and thanksgiving, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Behold, sisters, may also make the covenant and say, Amen, in token of the same. Also to the unmarried, I, the Lord, will it that you should, be, you should marry in, in the order, that I may have a pure people, saith the Lord. All who have covenanted to only marry within the holy order, say, Amen. Amen. This order shall not be broken, 
by any until they themselves stand in the garden of paradise, ready to fall, lest they be destroyed. Amen. Amen. Covenant to enter into a united order. The patron receiving it will put his arm to the square and repeat after he who is administering the covenant, saying, I, brother, so-and-so, do covenant and promise before God, angels, and these brethren in the united order, that I will consecrate all my mind, strength, and wealth unto this united order, and that I will hold all things in common with my brethren, according to my stewardship, and I do this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Baptism into the United Order. After dedicating the water and going into the water as described above, you hold on to the one being baptized and raising your right arm to the square. you say. Brother, by the authority of the Melchizedek priesthood, which I hold, I baptize you into the Order of Enoch, which is the United Order before God. And I say this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You then immerse them in the water and then undedicate the water. The meal of the prophets. The members of the school and or relief society shall sit at a table. A glass of wine and a small stack of flatbread shall be provided for each member. A blessing shall be given. O Father, which art in heaven, by the authority of the priests after the order of the Son, we bless this bread to all the souls which shall partake of it. They may do it in fellowship and brotherhood, being knit in one through the love of Christ, which is charity. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. O Father, which art in heaven, by the authority of the priesthood, after the order of the Son, we bless this wine to the souls which shall drink of it, that they may do it in the Spirit, worshiping thee and their mother in spirit and in truth, being knit in one to charity, the greatest of all. For we know that if we are not one, then we are not yours. Even so, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. The washing of with alcohol. When only men are present, then there can be a washing with a cloth and alcohol. Brother, having authority, I wash your body clean, that it may be healthy, strong, and full of virtue and power. I wash your sins away with charity, making your garments white, even making thee clean every whit of the blood and sins of this generation. I do this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. The provisional anointing. Brother, by the authority of the priest, after the order of the Son, and in the name of Jesus Christ, I pour this holy consecrated oil upon thy head and give unto thee, unto you a holy anointing. I anoint and ordain thee a king and a priest of the Most High God to rule and reign in the house of Israel forever. Predicated upon this anointing being sealed, I give thee power to bind on earth and have it bound in heaven. And whomsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And whomsoever thou shalt curse shall be cursed. And whomsoever thou shalt bless shall be blessed. But remember that these things must be done in accordance with those things which have been done before the foundations of the world. I bless thee that ye shall come forth in the first and holy resurrection, and I even ordain you to be one of the sons of Amen. I bless thy head and mind that you may receive revelations in carrying on the work. I bless thy eyes that ye may see visions and the eternal world. I bless thy nose that ye may smell the sweet smells of the eternal world. I bless thy mouth that you may speak truth. I give thee this holy anointing in the name of Elohim, and in the name of Jehovah, and in the name of the Godhead of this earth, even Michael, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost, who presides over the spirits of just men and women made perfect. Amen. Patriarchal blessing. Brother, by the authority of the patriarchal priesthood and in the and the priesthood after the order of the Son, I lay my hands upon your head and give you a patriarchal blessing. 
in the school of the prophets. Then you shall get the blessing by the Spirit, and do it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The Council of the Prophets. The keys of the holy kiss shall be given. The first or ironic sign of the holy kiss is made by embracing and kissing the right cheek, and then the left, and then the right again, and saying, Peace be upon you. The second or Melchizedek sign of the holy kiss is made by embracing and kissing the right cheek, and then the left cheek, and then the forehead, and saying, Peace be upon you. The third or patriarchal sign of the holy kiss is to kiss upon the lips, and saying, God be with you. The first holy kiss is for brethren and sisters and the priesthood and siblings. The second holy kiss is for parent and child and the priesthood or familial bond. The third holy kiss is for eternal mates or fellow eternal members of the holy order of the opposite and that you love or are attracted to and feel close enough to, sufficient to merit this kiss. If the motion of this kiss, holy kiss, is not reciprocated, we continue with the first in all charity and love. Let all receive it. Let all who are present give the appropriate holy kiss to those sitting upon their right hand and upon their left, and saying unto them, Peace be upon you, or God be with you, or Shalom, in token of the same. That will do. Now the members of the holy, the school of orderly society shall return to the circle and a rod presented. Brothers and sisters, this rod is the rod of the word of God, and whoever shall hold the rod hath the right to speak, and all others must be silent until the possessor of the rod hath finished speaking. If you desire to speak, you should put your right foot forward until he who possesses the rod shall give thee the rod. Now, if he shall continue to speak long enough after that, that it seemeth he is ignoring a brother or a sister or a mother or a father or a son or a daughter in the Lord, then all shall put their feet out also. He shall then repent himself of speaking and give the rod away. The rod is the word of and law of God, and that which is confirmed by the members. Having felt the spirit shall be considered scripture. Members shall confirm a saying by raising both hands above their head and repeating it, and then saying amen, after it has been proposed for a vote. Behold, brethren, now that we are one, let the mysteries be opened up unto us. Okay, so we don't have any callers call in, uh, but we did have a question, and I'm going to answer that question at this time. And then um, I think I'm going to be back on tomorrow, or not tomorrow, on Thursday, because uh, I can actually go to work tomorrow early, and I'm going to do that. So for this question, uh, Brother Jonathan asks me, hey, I enjoyed your show yesterday. I was wondering, what is the difference between an apostle and prophet. Uh, the difference between a prophet and apostle is that all are called to be prophets. Moses taught that God, Jehovah our Elohim, desired that all of his children be, become prophets. And in the book of Revelation, we find that the spirit of Christ or the testimony of Christ comes by the spirit of prophecy or, in other words, revelation. In order to have a testimony, you must, be re you must receive revelation from God, and that makes you a prophet. God is no respecter of persons. He wants us all to become prophets. The difference between a, what a prophet is and an apostle is that apostles, oh, well, there's two different divisions of apostles. There are those who are called to be 70 apostles, like, like Paul was, when he on the road to Emmaus or Damascus, I can't remember, 
he saw Jesus Christ standing in front of him. He had a vision of the Savior. He became an eyewitness of the Savior, and so he is called one of the apostles, one of the 70 apostles. Even though he was not ordained to that position in office, he, would, what, he is what constitutes one of the 70 apostles. Now, the church has done away with any of what a 70 actually is. Yes, they were called apostles in the beginning of the Restoration. The difference between a 70 apostle and one of the 12 in ancient days and in our days is that the 12 not only sees, but they actually embrace. I have a friend who is an apostle who lives up in Idaho. The Savior appeared to him and stood in front of him, and he fell down on his face because he had just tried to commit suicide. And he embraced the feet and saw the wounds in the feet of Yeshua, our Messiah. That is higher than just having a vision or seeing a vision. To have a physical interaction with Yeshua or with the Father is what constitutes being in one of the like one of the twelve, one of the major apostles. So my major major and minor apostles. Paul did not embrace the Savior, but he did see him. He wasn't called to the apostleship until later, but he when when Yeshua or Jesus appeared to Miriam, who is called Mary, in the garden, she became an eyewitness, and she female who was an apostle, unordained, though it may be, but an eyewitness of the resurrected Savior, not just to have seen, but to embraced, and she did embrace him. Anyone who has seen the Savior in a vision or dream is a witness of the Savior. There are different levels of, of, of apostles. All apostles are prophets, but not all prophets are apostles. Anyone who has received revelation, inspiration, or testimony by the Holy Spirit of Jehovah is a prophet of God. The problem with being a prophet is that there are many different kinds of prophets. You've got true prophets, false prophets, and fallen prophets. Now what the difference is between a true, false, and fallen prophet is that a true prophet, a fallen prophet, and a false prophet all receive revelation but they receive it by a different source. Joseph Smith taught that you could be a seer and fall and retain your gift of being a seer, but you receive the information that you receive as a seer by a bad source. So you can be a seer who is deceived. Because when God opens the veil to your mind and to your eyes and to your ears to actually being a seer or a prophet, Satan is going to want to give you revelation too. He's, he's going to want to give you visions and manifestations. Remember, in the endowment, Adam says, what is that apron, apron 
when Satan comes and he says, it is a symbol of my priesthood. So he has priesthood. He can give revelation. Paul told Timothy to try the spirits because they're, because because many false prophets have gone out. And why? Because they receive revelation from false who are not from God. They pretend to be from God. How can we know whether or not we're receiving revelation from God or the devil? God and the devil speak both to our minds at first. The Holy Spirit speaks to our minds. We receive inspiration and revelation in our minds at first, unless it's a power, really powerful, and then I've actually had both the Savior and the adversary appear to me and try to, uh, well, the adversary try to persuade me, like what happened in the book of Moses. Moses appeared to, to Moshe, or not Moses, uh, Moshe, um, the adversary, Hasatan, appeared to Moshe or Moses, and he tried to do the whole angel of light thing. And Moses said, where's your glory? Because when you've seen the Father, you know the difference between the glory of one and, and, the, and the lack of glory of, of the other. But, but Satan can imitate light around him. But for those of you who are beginners who don't get these kind of things, you're still going to be receiving revelation. Now, just because you receive revelation does not mean it is by or from God. We must try the Spirit as Paul taught Timothy, which means we must study the thing out in our mind to the best of our ability, what we've received, and then go to the Father and tell him what we've received and ask him if it's from him. I tend to believe every revelation that I get because I have a believing heart. But I always take those revelations that I receive and tell God I believe the revelation is from him. And what happens in my life, in my experience, is that the spirit will increase and I will feel the the fruit of the spirit along with the burning in the bosom or a, a burning a heavenly spiritual burning all over. And I will know because of the fruit of the Spirit and the burning in the bosom that it is from God. But if the revelation is from Satan, buffeting the Satan will come upon me, the stupor of, of thought. Bruce R. McConkie taught quite correctly that the stupor of thought is when the adversary, the Spirit withdraws from you and you are left feeling the fruit of the adversary, which is the exact opposite of Galatians uh, chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, where the fruit of the Spirit is listed as being among peace, joy, and love in these type of feelings. When God speaks to our heart and to our mind, we can know that the revelation that we are receiving is from him. But if we receive revelation in our in our mind and the spirit withdraws from us when we take it to the Father and we are left with the stupor of thought, we can know that the revelation is from Satan. Now at first when this gift is, is opened up to you, you're going to receive lots of 
revelations from Satan. But as you take it to the fire, Father, each one is to be diligent and not slothful. What he does in giving you revelations is actually going to bring you closer to the Father. He'll stop. A fallen prophet is somebody who has received the word of the Lord, who developed the gift of, of, of prophecy, revelation, seership, and then they they are not diligent, they are slothful in making sure that they test the revelation to receive uh, correct, uh, to receive confirmation of the Spirit. <laughs> And they begin receiving revelations and promoting revelations from the adversary. Case in point. The patriarch of the Church of the Living Messiah, Samuel Warren Schaefer, once, and I, he was a seer. Okay, now remember, Joseph Smith said that if a, if a seer falls, they shall retain the gift of seership, that it shall be from a, a bad source paraphrasing what he said, but that's the, in order to be diligent, we have to get revelation and confirmation from the Spirit for everything, even being a seer, or we can be deceived. Now, Samuel Warren Schaefer did receive many revelations, and the voice that you just heard in endowment is his voice. He made that recording. He received a revelation. He presented it to me, and then we both prayed about it and received confirmation of the Holy Spirit that it was from God. But when he received revelations that I couldn't accept because the Spirit withdrew from me, like he the translation about Nazor, which I'm not going to get into it, but it was a false translation, a deceitful, deceptive translation from the adversary. As a seer, he received this. The spirit withdrew from me when I when I read it and when I uh, prayed about it, and I knew it was not from God. I tried to teach Sam that he needed to get confirmation, and he just wouldn't do it. He figured that everything that he got was straight from God, and it wasn't. Now, this man who received many revelations and translations like the book of Paniel, the book of Lehi, the book of Joseph, the son of Lehi, um, the book of Zolomus, many, many translations, many revelations that were from God, he stopped being diligent, he became slothful, and he stopped checking make sure that what he was receiving was from God. And he fell, and he fell hard. He met a man by the name of John Colthorpe, who he baptized into the Church of the Living Messiah, who also received many revelations. But these revelations were not from God. They conspired to overthrow this ministry and to uh, overthrow uh, myself, and just it was it was ridiculous. Okay, they began receiving revelations about how Hitler was a God, God's prophet, 
that the Jews were the synagogue of Satan and that the Holocaust never happened. Uh, they received many revelations about flat earth theories and all kinds of other crazy, uh, crazy things from the adversary. They, they became so radicalized that in July of uh, July 20th of 2016, I believe it was, I had to excommunicate them both. I had warned them many times. Now I do. Uh, I am the leader of a ministry called the Church of the Living Messiah. I am the founder of this ministry. I was commanded in 2013 to organize this ministry as a teaching ministry, which is part of the reason I do what I do. We do baptisms, rebaptisms, and ordinances, including the first and second endowment and second anointings, sealings, and other and other uh, uh, things, because this is part of my job as a teacher in Zion, as a witness of the Father and His Son, the second witness of the Father, an apostle of the Father, because I too, like Yeshua, have embraced the Father. See, Jesus was the first witness or apostle of the Father. I am also an apostle and witness of the Father. Sent in these last days to bring bring out of Zion a residue who will be obedient to God's commandments. So I have this ministry, and we don't have gatherings or anything like that, but I baptize people, and they go. They actually, I instruct them to go back to the LDS church and be among those people and, and be a light to those people. I don't let the people there know about me because I want the doctrine to go out. I don't care about whether you believe I am who I say I am or not. The truth matters more than who I am as far as I'm concerned. My witness is very important in that I have been in the presence physically of the Father and the Son, and I have embraced them both in the flesh and the light of the midday sun. But what we talk about, doctrine-wise, is more important than my witness. But these two men, John Colthorpe and uh, Samuel Warren Schaefer, began receiving and being uh, radicalized, and they had been warned many times, and they wouldn't repent. And Samuel Warren Schaefer became a fallen prophet. So that's the difference between a true prophet, a false prophet, and a fallen prophet. These two men eventually went on forming a group called Knights of the Crystal Blade, and they did some things, and they are in prison now or uh, up, up to life, multiple. 26 years to life and 46 years to life. One's in Gunnison, Utah, and one is in uh, Blockville, Utah, in the, the state prison system. I don't have any contact with either one of them. Sam still sends me revelations through an outside source, and I just don't accept them. I was told by the father not to have anything to do with them and to cut them off, and I did that in July of 2016, and in November of 2016, they did what they did, and now they're in prison for it. Sam had the potential to be a very powerful prophet and seer for for our Father in Heaven, and he did some good for me in doing things I could not do for myself. I can't anoint myself. I can't do any of that. But, and this, this stuff must be done by men on the earth. So I'm grateful for what he did, but he fell. All of 
his children to be prophets. But the difference between a prophet and an apostle is somebody who has seen and heard versus somebody who has received revelation and inspiration. The testimony of Jesus Christ comes by the spirit of prophecy. All right, so I was thinking about maybe just doing a conclusion here, but I don't, I'm not exactly sure how much we have left. So I might just leave that until tomorrow. If I do come on tomorrow, it'll be around 12.30 or 1, because I actually can go to work earlier than normal. Uh, so I'm not going to be here at 4. I will be driving my semi-truck at 4. So I might just come back on and, and do that uh, tomorrow. So um, other news, we are going to have a Levite council tonight, to those of you who are invited to that. Um, and uh, I will – and I might just do this tomorrow too, okay? So I'm back a week on the Levite council. So you know when I talk about this is fundamentally more part of the Zion's Redemption Radio Network? Well, part of the Zion's Redemption Radio Network is Kevin Crump's friends getting together on Sundays and also the Levite Council getting together, which I need to start bringing those, those recordings into this, into this format to share with the people. These are Levites who are fully well, well uh, and they're prophets and apostles themselves, uh, although many of them won't. We won't even talk about that, but um, they're Levites. So um, the meeting tonight, and I'm going to be part of it, uh, and I'll get the recording later, and I'll, I'll have to post it on, on air, but uh, uh, here's, here's what um, the Levite Jonathan says. New moon meeting tonight, which was cited last night before moon set by Lehi Verham by our Lehi Zarahemla Levite band. Thank you, Charlotte. Imagine that. God provided us with with a diligent sky watcher, and she spotted it, the new moon, at 1.5% illumination in an urban setting which takes talent. I didn't see it from Spanish Fork due to cloud cover and was and was assuring to see it tonight. Ha, so much for assuming, which makes an ass out of you, you or me, and so the saying goes. All right, so tonight at 8, 8 p.m. Central is our usual Zoom meeting, 9 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Mountain, 6 p.m. Uh, Pacific. Our teacher, Joshua Erickson, will be teaching us the particulars of Purim and the story of Esther in the Bible. Now, Purim is a memorial holiday or holy day coming up, so we're going to learn about that, and I'll have to post out. I'll either play the recording for that um, tomorrow or uh, Saturday. I, I want to do them on Saturdays, but uh, i got to work things out and try to figure it out. So, But that's what's going on tonight. Um, let's see here. Since this is the last month, most likely of the year. So this is a dark two. We're in a dark two now. Uh, and I don't want to talk about why there's two Adars, months of Adar, which is part of the Hebrew calendar. Um, with Charlotte's talent, we will probably 
um, have Passover one day early on April 7th, how to add in the non-diamond. The the Lehi Zarahemla Foundation is having Passover in Lehi. If you can't make it to the center place, join us tonight. It will be astonishingly interesting as we uh, as we hear what Jonathan has, not uh, Jonathan, um, Joshua has prepared. So I'll be on that call, and Jonathan will send me the recording, and I will get it uploaded to the program so that you can hear it too. Uh, that will not be a Facebook Live broadcast. You'll have to go to either iTunes, uh, Fundamentally Mormon on iTunes, or blogtalkradio.com forward slash Fundamentally Mormon. These extra programs on the Zion's Redemption Radio Network are not, um, they're not going to have videos. So please follow me at Blog Talk Radio or subscribe to my channel or my iTunes uh, podcast to hear those interesting discussions. So, all right, well, it doesn't look like we have anybody on the air. So I'm going to end this live stream on Facebook, and then we're going to play the closing music. This is just some piano stuff I just enjoy. So uh, we'll go to that point. Um, I probably will be back on tomorrow. We'll see what happens. Thank you for listening. Uh, When we do come back for my live streams, um, we will be Chapter 18, the conclusion of Who Crucified Christ. And then uh, I think we're going to get into a book called The uh, Responses. And uh, it's really interesting. Some pretty, very, very interesting stuff. And I can't wait till we get through it and into it. This has been Fundamentally Mormon, part of the Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Thank you for watching, everyone. Take care. God bless and goodbye. Okay, so that's just the music playing at the end there. So um, if you want to listen to this with better audio, go to youtube.com forward slash user forward slash God is my compass. It's episode 225, and you can find that in the playlist on YouTube, Fundamentally Mormon Radio Show and Podcast. And for some reason, I told my wife to be quiet. Kim, I told you I was going live. Oh, my gosh. I'm home right now, if you couldn't tell. Anyway, I told everybody to be quiet so I could just do this last part, and apparently nobody listens to me. So, did you want to argue with me? You can get on the radio show. You want to argue live? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Anyway. So, um, also, you can find this episode uh, on blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. Now, we don't have any guest callers, nobody in the studio, nobody in the chat. So, we're just going to end the program for today. Um, I don't know. Let me know um, 
if you enjoy the flashback Fridays, I might quit doing it because I'm home on Friday night. I take Friday night to Saturday night off usually uh, for my Sabbath day rest and then uh, try to do church on Sunday. So, um, so whatever. Anyway, I guess four days a week is pretty good considering what I was doing before, which was not a lot. So anyway, we're going to speed on with the program. Thank you everyone for listening. And uh, I guess we'll go back into that music that we were listening to before. All right. Thanks. Thank you. 